Welcome to First Contact Stories of the Call Center. I'm your host, Christian Montez, where we dive into the lives that connect us all, one call at a time, revealing the stories behind the leaders' transformative journeys in the contact center world. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to First Contact Stories of the Call Center. Look, we dive into the fascinating world of call centers. So some of you may say, wait, fascinating worlds? Like, just bear with me, okay? We uncover stories that are unexpected, paths that are unexpected, hidden rewards. It's a really neat conversation. So as you know, I'm your host, Christian Montez, and today marks an exciting beginning of our new season. So we're going to be kicking off this in particular episode with a truly exceptional guest. We have Frank Mona the third, yes, the third. third. I'm sure there's a story behind that. Uh, who's a seasoned expert with over 30 years of experience in telecommunications and call center leadership. Now, in this season's opener, we're going to dive deep into Frank's rich career journey. Now, with that, though, we're also going to be exploring how he's navigated the complex dynamics of client relationship management, servant leadership, and the impact of technological advancements in the industry. But we're also going to get a little personal as well. We're going to step back from the professional. We're going to see from Frank's perspective, really, what is the man behind this remarkable career? So sit back, relax, join us on this insightful journey, and let's have a good time. Frank, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks for having me, Christian. Really appreciate it. Now, look, if you've ever watched the show, you know that we got to know your story. You spent over 30 years in the space. What got you into the space in the first place? <laughs> well, it's a great story. Um, actually, totally by happenstance, uh, I was in college, had accepted a job with a large a food manufacturing company, and uh, following my in my dad's footsteps, um, had a slew of interviews scheduled, decided to go ahead and go on the interviews. Uh, anyway, I ended up uh, taking a job part-time, I thought, uh, with a small little phone company uh, that was selling um, phone, phone systems, the small and medium, um, medium sized companies in the greater Sacramento area and, uh, ended up working for them for like 90 days, fell in love with the industry, uh, told that other company I'm not coming. And, uh, next thing you know, we're sitting here all, all this time later. Isn't that the truth though? I mean, you thought it was temporary. You know, there's this idea that it's like, I woke up one day and I'm going to work in this industry. No, that's not the common theme for most people. And so for you, there's this part where there's always this connection of the people you connect with, the passion of what you're doing ends up keeping you there. And it's not necessarily some people joke, it's like you're held hostage in the industry, right? It consumed you entirely. But other people really say it is their dream job and it is their dream career. Now, with that, though, I've seen that there's this idea that you really bring to the table about servant leadership. I really want to understand when you say servant leadership, what is that? And when you talk about that, how has that really integrated into the philosophy of your leadership style? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. So I'll, I'll go back to my dad again, who was really my mentor and somebody that I had a tremendous amount of respect for, um, not only as a person, but also as a professional. Uh, he was the general manager as well as VP of sales for his company. And uh, he was, again, in the food manufacturing business. So he ran a plant uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I saw the way that he interacted with his employees when I would do um, luncheons or, um, you know, uh, family visits to the site. And it really made me realize that it didn't matter if it was the per person sweeping the floor or the, the, the general manager running the actual plant on a day-to-day -day basis. He treated them with such respect and reverence and uh, and really understood them personally as well, that that really inspired me to say, hey, if I, when I eventually get into a leadership role, when I get into a situation where I have people working for me, I, I want to treat them in a similar manner. So um, while I didn't understand what the term servant leader meant at that time, um, I, I it was servant leadership in action. And so um, when I, um, again, got in my career and started having the opportunity to manage people and, and manage organizations, um, I, I really applied that philosophy. And very simply for me, it is to be of service to those that either work for me or more recently in my career, my clients um, as a client services executive. And what that means is really that my job is to be a facilitator of whatever it is we're trying to get accomplished and accomplishing it through people, 
not directing them, telling them what to do. Yes, there are times where you have to direct and tell people what to do, even your clients sometimes. But generally speaking, it's really about empowering them to be successful through guidance, through support, through empathy, through whatever whatever it is that is required in order to be able to make sure that we're accomplishing what it is we're trying to accomplish. And, and again, whether that's meeting a deadline, uh, whether that's, um, you know, hitting the K, uh, KPIs and SLAs in a contract, whether that's, uh, you know, helping somebody get to the next step in their career, whatever that might be, whatever that deliverable is, it's, again, it's really being of service to, um, again, either my client or my employee to help them achieve that goal through empowerment and support and um, just, again, providing my guidance in, in helping them achieve that. So I can imagine, right, you know, you're not going to run into too many leaders that say, yeah, screw my team, whatever. They're just they're just this thing in the background that's a cost, right? You're not going to say, screw my customers, my customers or whatever. They know most leaders are going to say, I care about my staff, at least in public, right? And they're going to say course. that they care about their customers. Sure. Are there any tangible things like an example of like a situation where you'd say, this is really servant leadership in its real form of how it's manifested in an organization you've had versus here's when it's not. Here's when it's about just the leader or the bottom line or whatever ends up being the rationale people have when they're running their business. Anything in particular comes to mind? Yeah. So I, I would two ways. One um, a more recent example with a, with a client situation. Um, I um, uh, most recently let me start over again. <laughs> um, so, um, so two examples. One with in a more recent client uh, example. Um, I, you know, we I took over a line of business that uh, was really struggling. Uh, was not doing well. Client was not happy. On the verge of getting fired, and, and really had very little patience for us because we had gone through several leaders before I took over. Um, and I immediately dove in understood what the situation was by interviewing everybody I possibly could, including the client and figured out what we needed to do differently. And within 90 days of that, we not only did we secure the business, but we actually ended up growing not only that line of business, but we also ended up adding an additional line of business, which dwarfed uh, the line of business that we were trying to save. And we went from roughly 40 agents when I took over on, Uh, this very shaky line of business to 800 agents um, on multiple lines of business within about 18 months after I first took over. And what really drove that was uh, that I I sought to understand what the situation was and really, again, act as as a servant to the client to understand what they needed for us to do differently, but as well as to understand internally what was going on as to why we were unable to perform up until that point and what we needed to do differently in order to be able to make that happen. So um, with with that kind of dual approach on uh, serving internally as well as with the client, we were able to make magic happen and, again, turn a, a lemon into the proverbial lemonade. Um, from a, um, you know, from a, from a uh, employee standpoint, I, I've had many, many examples, but this one goes back a ways, but I would say the one that I'm most proud of is when, I was running marketing for uh, AT&T West uh, back in the day, and um, I was able to not only build a, a great team of people around me that some of which I still stay in contact with today, but more importantly, I was able to help, you know, four different people on my team grow from, you know, literally just a, a first level manager uh, into now, um, you know, one of them is a, a VP with the company um, and several of them moved into uh, director and executive director roles over time. Uh, and and that all just came out of creating an environment of success, of empowerment, of uh, enabling people to maximize their capabilities. So I, I've, I'm really proud of that because it literally changed their lives and, and it made our organization, uh, of course, that much better. But you also asked the question conversely, you know, situations where uh, that's not been the case. Uh, and, you know, excuse me, I have many of those, unfortunately, as well. But um, I would say, you know, the, um, the the cases where uh, it that's been, I guess, I guess, most impactful in terms of, of, um, on a a negative basis, if you will, 
um, have really been more with leadership above me, not supporting what it is I'm trying to get done. And as a result, in effect, sabotaging uh, what it, what it is I'm trying to accomplish. So, um, you know, I, I got to leave the, uh, the names out of it, but I guess the point is, is that if you don't have leadership that's on board with you, uh, to, um, create a environment that supports, uh, again, the servant leadership mentality, uh, then it becomes really challenging to be able to do that because you, you can only get so much done without the support of your, uh, senior leadership. Yeah, I mean, so much to unpack. I'm sure we could have a whole episode on just servant leadership, but I think just to distill that down into we're really in the business of people and you got to learn how to invest into people, whether it's your customers, whether it's your internal customer, your employees, and knowing that uh, they're not just another number, right? There's a person behind it. And so that, yep. I'm sure that gets a lot of people really wanting to buy into your mission, wanting to work for you and you know, understand that there's an investment into them. And, you know, with that, you really talk about and emphasize the idea of having a robust work ethic and really a commitment to customer excellence. How do those values really translate into tangible strategies and practices that one does in the contact center that I'm sure, of course, right, reinforces this idea of servant um, leadership? Yeah, so... um I, I think the way that that it manifests, um, you know, from an execution standpoint, um, again, whether it's internal employees or, or with the with the clients um, is through, you know, ex- execution. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, what do people care about? Right. And in terms of the client cares about you're delivering on the KPIs and the SLAs and and your and your and as well as the QA scores, however you measure those to make sure that you're serving the client, you know, properly, right. Or serving their clients or their customers properly. Um, so, um, you know, so the, the way that that manifests is through, um, you know, expert execution, right. And it's making sure that, uh, that the people within your organization understand what, you know, what is expected of them, um, and then providing them with the tools and the focus and energy and, um, and, and, support, if you will, to be able to, uh, accomplish those goals. So, um, and, and deliver uh, on what it is that the customer is expecting from us. So, you know, and so the way that, um, I, you know, I've always, uh, approached that is uh, that I, even as a client service ex- executive, I get knee deep in what's happening on an operational level. So, and the way I've done that is through uh, racking up a ton of, uh, miles flying all over the world, literally, being in the trenches, being in the call centers, being with the operational leaders, being down to the agent level, listening to the calls and everything in between and really understanding how we operate, really understanding the culture. And then from that, being able to then understand how we need to, um, you know, come together as a team to be able to execute on again on what is expected from the client in terms of what we're delivering. So, you know, so for me, I guess to net that out, it's really um, one, you know, digging in and understanding the environment to uh, making sure everybody else understands what it is that we're expected to deliver. Uh, and then three, uh, ensuring that we execute on that, not only because we want to hit the contractual obligations, but frankly, because we want to secure the contract for long-term and uh, as well as grow with other lines of business with them as well. Running a contact center these days takes a great deal of courage and fortitude. Nobel Biz would like to salute the contact center community for not giving up and working hard to drive their businesses down the road to success. As the promise keepers of the industry, our goal was to provide one of the most versatile and cost-efficient omni-channel solutions on the market. Nobel Biz Omni Plus is a cloud contact center software that gives instant access to a full range selection of channels, from voice calls, two-way SMS, email, WhatsApp, Twitter, Telegram, among others. Our solution offers complete control over the externalities by switching from an on-premise technology to a cloud-based solution in just a matter of hours. Get integrated compliance support, advanced reporting, seamless agent and supervisor dashboards, and many more performance-enhancing capabilities, all in just one product. Nobel Biz Omni Plus the future-proof solution for scaling contact center operations. Learn more about Nobel Biz Omni Plus at www.nobelbiz.com. 
Yeah, I think it's really important that you really understand what's happening in the trenches at the ground level where the magic and the heroes work. And if yeah. you don't, if you don't take it straight from there, every layer back that you get it from can definitely uh, change the message or even you'll miss key pieces. Now, you talk a lot about client relationship management. What does that really mean to you when you say that? And how does this actually apply to really ensuring success and satisfaction uh, in the call center environment? Well, for me, it's actually pretty simple. Um, my job is to ensure that we that I'm representing, you know, my BPO to to the client, and I'm the face, one throat to choke, whatever it is you want to call that. But um, but what that means is that that as the face and as that person, um, that everything that we mean to and everything that we want to represent to the client, I, I'm I'm doing that on their behalf. So uh, on on behalf of of the BPO. So um, for me, that is um, making sure that they know that our our best interests are their best interests are making sure that we completely understand their business and frankly, hopefully know it even better so that we can provide value added solutions to them that maybe they haven't thought about um, or hadn't considered, or uh, it just wasn't on their radar yet. Um, and then as well as laying the foundation that we not only want to just execute on a contract and be a transactional partner, but we truly want to be a business partner with you a strategic business partner that wants to grow with your business and, and again, expand out into uh, not only, you know, t taking on everything that you give us uh, in, in this line of business, but as well as other lines of business as well. So, um, and so the way that I've always done that is by one demonstrating, I know what I'm talking about and I understand, uh, the, you know, the BPO operation. Um, but two, that I begin, that I build relationships with them through, uh, again, site visits through dinners, through you know phone conversations, whether it's one on ones or weekly business reviews, monthly business reviews, quarterly business reviews. But it, the whole intent behind it is not just to again provide you know spreadsheets and results and 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 information, but rather that we are building something together, that we're building this team together, that we're building this strategic partnership together. Uh, again, not only just to deliver on what's required. But to it, again, to take it to the next level and really have a long-term partnership uh, that we can rely each other on and be candid with each other on, and really uh, again have a um, partnership that transcends just doing business. And and I, what I'm proud of in my most recent role is I I have two of my uh, former clients that I'm still friends with. I, we still we talk probably once a month, uh, text each other, have conversations, uh, and um, and it so. Again, those relationships really end up trans transcending um, just business, but really can turn into um, personal relationships that um, can extend, you know, far beyond the end of the, of the uh, contract. No, absolutely, and I think as we talked about earlier in the business of people, you know, people room, move from one job to another. They get promoted. They go to other companies or other parts of the world. And as big as the world is. Uh, the business world that we're in, there's a lot of crossover, a lot of churn, a lot of moving parts. And so getting to know people and keeping a real relationship, not just a transactional relationship, I think you're right. It's spot on. It's super critical. One of the things you said about the way that you really embed yourself with the customers, there's an expectation that if you're going to exchange services or products for money, that it's decent. It's good enough, right? For what they need, right? They're going to give them a good enough service and support and so on and so forth. But that piece that I think is key is the fact that you're educating them and sharing with them expertise about things they didn't know that they could do or that they could implement because they may have their list. Here's what I want to do that I can't do. Here are the things that I don't like. Here's what doesn't work well. You know, don't get me wrong. Everyone could be better or worse at that dynamic, but that other key piece is inserting those things where you say, have you ever thought about this? Other people like your space, your industry, your vertical are doing these things. And so that's really cool that uh, you really know that that's an important part to your business. Absolutely. Um, so let's kind of shift a little bit to the evolution of the call center, right? Sure. It's changed a little bit, right? Over the years. <laughs> so just a little. Side, yeah. Right. You know, just a little. So from your side, Let's talk about the past and we'll talk about after that future looking, but 
from the past till let's say what's happening nowadays, how's it evolved? What's been going on over the years? And what are some like big things that you think have really impacted how that model has uh, serviced the world? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and I would say that the, the biggest shift obviously has been the move from everything being voice, right? Every single call coming in had to be a call there. You know, there was no texting. There was really no even, even email at some point there, there were, there were, you know, social media didn't exist. Right. So it, it was all about the phone call and all about trying to provide a great customer experience over the phone. And in many cases, trying to explain pretty complex things over the phone that would be challenging to get people to understand because there was no way to share a screen or, um, you know, or, or provide some other tool to help them navigate something that was not easy to understand. Um, granted, product sets weren't as, as complicated or as sophisticated maybe as they are now, um, but still, um, still challenging. So I, so for me, um, you know, then of course the whole focus was on, you know, tonality and, um, making sure you were listening and making sure that, you know, you understood exactly what the customer needed so that you could answer their questions effectively uh, and, um, and, you know, and, you know, get, get a great QA score. Right. So really it was, it was pretty, I don't want to say it was simple because it was not hard to, it was not easy to do that. Of course, when you have hundreds of agents potentially all over the world, all trying to execute on the same thing. Right. So, um, so that absolutely was not easy, but, but the model was pretty consistent, right? I mean, for many years, it was a pretty consistent model in terms of what you were expected to do. And for the clients, you know, for them, it was cost arbitrage, right? It was cheaper to, to outsource it. So um, pretty simple, pretty simple model. You know, then then I think that what happened was then you started getting, um, you know, the whole, the whole evolution of omni-channel, right? So now you've got all these different ways that the customers can interact with you again, whether it's via social media, text, email, what, whatever. Right. And so um, now all of a sudden, not only do I have to make sure that I'm doing all the things that historically had, were even challenging to do from a voice standpoint, but now I have to do them on text, on, you know, instant messaging, on social media, on all these other uh, and, and, and or automating the actual process itself through chat bots and other tools of automation. So you know, all of a sudden it, it really moved from being um, a, you know, really more of a customer experience um, and, and customer service solution business to really this kind of this complex logistical management, um, you know, uh, morass almost in terms of all the different tools that you have to use uh, to be able to serve the customer who ultimately at the end of the day just wants to get their problem solved, right? They, they have a question they can't get answered. They want to know where their product is that it didn't arrive on time that, you know, they want to get their internet fixed because, you know, they, whatever, they need to do business from home. Um, you know, they want their TV fixed because they're, you know, the Super Bowl's on in an hour. So whatever the case might be. So all of a sudden, um, you know, not all of a sudden, but over time, it, it, that, that the entire ecosystem changed so dramatically that um, that again, it it you your uh, what you had to you, your ultimate goals were still there in terms of what you're trying to deliver for the customer, but just became much more complex in terms of all the tools by which you had to deliver that experience. So I, so for me, um, that's been the biggest challenge. Is um, you know yeah, we can all look at reports and see how we're performing in all those areas, but it's really looking at the bigger picture of okay, are we providing a consistent customer experience across all those different uh, uh, entry points? Are we um, providing um, the, the best solution for customers, um, and, you know, through those different gateways? And um, what? And, and then again, how do I make sure that I've got the right skill sets and the right technology and the right um, integration and, and oversight to ensure that we are delivering on, on uh, again, all those different pathways uh, in the most effective and efficient manner? So again, it, 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 it just, it, it exponentially um, changed um, how we manage the business, how we manage the customer experience, uh, and frankly, how we recruit and hire and train and develop people as well to be able to manage all those different aspects uh, of, of the business, not to mention all the different technology partners uh, and operational support that you need to be able to make it all happen. Yeah, I mean, definitely a whole other call could be done just on that. I think you're yeah. right when it comes to... Um, as people 
no longer just took a phone call from their house landline, their um, email sitting at a computer, um, the mobile phone, the ability to have all these different ways of communicating, the preference of how you want to communicate when, and then the knowledge, the fact that we know businesses have so much data on us, we get frustrated when we under, don't understand why is it so hard for you to figure out that this is the best way, best thing to talk about. And you should know me. You should know who I am. I shouldn't just be uh, one of many. I should be one in myself. And so when I engage with you, I shouldn't have to be educating you about who I am because uh, that's a frustrating journey. So let's kind of talk about as we move forward towards the trends and challenges and the opportunities for the future. Um, what do you see now that uh, we're in this world we'll call post-COVID for a minute, you know, the post-major yeah. pandemic disruptive piece, um, when it comes to everything from employee engagement and recruitment to just how our call center is going to be running in the future, any cool stuff you're seeing trend-wise or challenges that you think are coming up? Both. I, I'll, let me start with the challenges first. I think the challenge is going to be uh, twofold. One, you know, how do you recruit the right people that are going to be able to serve customers in this new world of Gen AI, which I know we'll get to. But, um, but it, you know, how do you make sure that um, they have the skill sets and capabilities and uh, just aptitude to be able to um, leverage uh, tools that, frankly, we haven't really used before or in the same way anyway that we haven't used before. So I think that's going to be um, a big challenge and it, in just it, as we move into the future. I think the opportunities, though, um, are, you know, immense, right? I mean, the beauty of, um, and again, I'll just use Gen AI since it's, you know, obviously the thing that we're all uh, focused on in, in the technology space right now uh, in, you know, in, in our world. And that is that um, if we can leverage that, capability um, effectively. And I think the jury's still out on, on that in terms of being able to do that. But, but the vision is that we're going to be able to do that, right? So we're going to be able to, uh, you know, create tools that um, will, um, you know, again, do a better job of identifying the talent that we need to, to bring on board uh, that will uh, enable more effective uh, and even personalized training to ensure that the agents are trained properly as they come on board. Um, that will, uh, again, provide a, a toolkit on how best to engage uh, in employees from an employee engagement and uh, incentives, um, you know, whether it's using more sophisticated gamification or whether it's just better, you know, more effective leadership that's more personalized. Um, but in other words, the whole point is, is that the the, um, the intelligence that's going to come out of Gen AI will, I believe, enable us to do all of those things that much more effectively than, than we do them today with all these disparate tools that we're using and trying to put together into uh, something that, you know, is um, effective for everybody. So I think my belief is with Gen AI that it's going to enable all of these things that we're doing today um, in individual fashion uh, in a more integrated, effective fashion, because we'll have the uh, more intelligence and insight and integration than, than we've ever had before. Um, and then what that means from a customer experience standpoint, I believe, is then being smart about how we apply all that, right? So you just, you can't automate everything. I mean, that's just not possible. There's too many long tail uh, uh, situations. There's too many situations where customers want to talk to a live person just because they just want to validate that what's happening is actually happening, um, or they just want to whine and complain and about what's going on, whatever the case might be. So I think there's always there's always going to be a need for that live communication. But I believe that um, th there are going to be more and more use cases where we can automate them uh, in such a way that it does deliver a great customer experience. Customer hangs up and feels good about it, or disconnects from their exchange or whatever the, whatever uh, medium they're using, um, and feeling good about the experience. Uh, they got what they needed. Uh, and, um, and, you know, yet we still have this, you know, these centers of agents that are performing all, all the things that still need to be performed that either can't be automated or just require personal interaction. So for me, I, I, I guess I see this hybrid world of um, more efficient and effective um, processes, procedures, customer experience, yeah, user experience, everything else. 
uh, combined with the power of what a call center has always represented, which is being there to, to uh, provide the customers with that backstop to ensure that they're being served properly. A famous African proverb says that if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. At Nobel Biz, we have made it our mission to travel far and wide with our partners and clients. As a complete telecom services provider with over 20 years of experience in the industry, Nobel Biz offers the only voice carrier network designed with the sole purpose of serving call centers around the world. This contact center dedicated carrier network provides crystal clear voice traffic, up-to-date compliance tools, intelligent routing, and highly secure data protocols combined with 99.9% uptime and easy setup. Our goal for 2022 is to become the ultimate partner and provider for the contact center industry by placing service quality at the top of our priority list. To top it off, at Nobel Biz, we have the most competitive cost per minute model in the industry. Need proof? Reach out to us and learn more about the Nobel Biz Voice Carrier Network at www.nobelbiz.com. Yeah, I think right now the way that uh, AI is going, especially with generative AI and otherwise, uh, we're going to see some exciting things coming in the future. But I think one of the the themes that I hear, right, there's always that question of will agents go away and AI is just going to take it over? Who knows what the future holds? But I think you're right in the idea that there's still going to be a subset of conversations, complex, high emotion, um, preference, where a human being is still going to be required, right? And to your point of hiring, staffing, training, maintaining the excellence of staff that now has to engage in these uh, much higher, uh, highly complex conversations, emotional conversations, or even preference-oriented that we're not superstars today when it comes to self-service. Some people do it better than others, but there's still people that they find it as a blocking mechanism to yeah. keep me from getting to a person in resolution. Right. Uh, then it really is to be because it is the most convenience and preferable method. Now, sure. That's just an opinion, of course, among several people. And I don't disagree with that idea as well. But I think one of the big takeaways from that is though, where the AI used properly is probably, you're right, going to offset a lot of these repetitive, easier mass communications that make sense when done properly in a self-service manner. I think you're also right in that the voice part of it is still going to be important and that AI has a place in helping enable those conversations to be more successful. Everything from intelligence to real-time um, engagement to post-call, and there's going to be a whole bunch of there, even in training, onboarding, and continuous education. So super cool stuff. And I'm excited to see what happens in that arena. And I kind of want to shift a little bit to the fact that you have a lot of experience and a lot of geographical uh, diverse areas. And also when it comes to uh, focusing on the whole concepts of onshore, nearshore and offshore centers, can we dive in just a little bit into the cultural aspects that differentiate regions and even the dynamics of, of the a balance between when should you nearshore, offshore, uh, and uh, you know, keep in house. Um, what are the differences when you look at the teams and the cultural differences of these different areas? Can you give some insight into that dynamic? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, um, probably the the best example I could give was when I was at uh, Sutherland because I my entire job was nearshore and offshore, uh, and um, in terms of where the centers were that were serving my clients. Um, and what what I found uh, was that the um, uh, so, for example, in Canada, we had a center of excellence uh, that had that was obviously very, you know, Western. I mean, right across the border. Uh, and, um, you know, it's so virtually American, although very much they have their own culture in Canada, uh, no doubt. But a great, great bunch of people. But um, but what I found, at least that uh, for us in that spot was um really sharp people that understood how to take a um, idea, incubate it, and then export it basically to uh, the other centers throughout the world. So, um, but again, and, and what I found there was that their caring and, um, and consideration and, um, and really wanting to understand how best to serve the customer, that whole mindset on top of some just really smart people that understood, um, you know, technology and operations, 
we're able to create great solutions, again, that we could export uh, to uh, the centers uh, throughout the world that we used. Um, in terms of uh, Columbia, I would say would be the next place I would go to. And uh, that, you know, they're very much a South American um, culture uh, in terms of how, um, you know, not only where they're physically located, but just in terms of um, how they operate. But again, um, because Colombia is the closest country to the U.S., definitely some Western influence there and and connectivity to the West. Um, but um, but what I found there was um, a culture of um, again of caring of you know of you know, family of uh, really wanting to serve the customer effectively. So um, you know those agents were really good at at a, at really kind of a mix of providing great customer experience, but also having some tech savviness as well to be able to apply both of those together uh, into um, a, a great solution for the customer, depending upon, again, what what products and services that we are offering. Um, moving to the Philippines, I, I think everybody that's worked there or has um, worked with people there know that, that you know, that is, that, that is a very warm, loving uh, culture and uh, with, with customer experience and customer service really being uh, the, um, you know, what, what they're known for. And I certainly experienced that as well. Uh, not to say that it can't do more highly complex or uh, technically involved um, servicing of customers, but what I found uh, where they really thrived was on providing, again, a, a great customer experience and really having, being empathetic towards the needs of the customer and understanding what they need, what they, what their needs and wants were to be able to solve to their issues. Um, and then, you know, moving to India, um, you know, again, they're known for their, you know, uh, tech savviness, if you will, and, and providing solutions on more uh, highly complex um, data-driven solutions or, or you know, tech support, field tech support, though, you know, tier two, tier three, whatever the case might be. Um, and um, I, I, I found that as well, um, but it's also the culture there as well is very family-oriented, warm loving as well. So I, what, what I found was there actually was, yes, there were definitely were some cultural differences, but really at the end of the day, um, you know, I, what I found was there was the commonality was really wanting to provide uh, a great customer experience, whether it was more kind of data driven and more data centric on the, on the, on the, uh, on the India side versus maybe more customer experience and, um, and, you know, um, just, you know, providing warmth, if you will, from from the uh, uh, Philippine side, and then you know, Colombia kind of being a hybrid of both. Uh, ultimately, it was all about delivering a great customer experience. And so, for me, um, it, what 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 I found to, to be the common ingredient to bring everybody together to provide uh, a great experience, regardless of where the agent was, was to make sure that they understood the vision of what we were trying to accomplish, what the client needed us to accomplish, and how they could deliver on that solution. Uh, in whatever fashion it is that uh, they have the most pro proclivity for. Well, considering you have vast knowledge of all these different regions, cultures, what drives people, uh, what really is the mission that you want those different pieces of the puzzle to come together, to create this master picture, I think it's really important. I think a broad brush that just says everything's the same and I just want it, you know, cookie cutter. It's probably not going to work well for you. So it's good that you invested the time and effort to understand what each of the different places, cultures, people had to offer, which sounds like from your experience, like many, it's that there's wonderful people all over the world that all can deliver magical experiences. Now, with that being said, you know, you have your own consulting firm, uh, Francis J Consulting, your own business. And everything is constantly changing and needing to understand and adapt to, you know, what's the next technological change? What are you in the business really doing when it comes to strategies and innovations uh, to stay, you know, ahead of the game of everything that's going on and happening? Uh, it's a great question. So I'm really doing um, a number of things. One, uh, definitely attending webinars, uh, reading ebooks, um, articles, you know, every day, subscribing to newsletters, I mean, really diving deep on uh, and staying on top of, you know, whether it's Gen AI, whether it's CX, UX, um, you name it. I mean, it, there there are so many changes going on um, as we speak um, that it's critical that I'm doing everything I can to educate myself and and stay on top of that. So that's that's really the first thing I'm doing on a daily basis. 
Second thing I'm doing is talking to my clients as well. So um, the, the beauty of it is I've got clients literally all over the world. So I, I talk to them on a regular basis to understand, you know, what's happening in their business, what's changing in their business. Um, what do I need to be aware of uh, in terms of serving them to ensure that uh, I'm, I'm giving them what they need, um, whether it's uh, the types of clients I'm bringing to them or whether it's um, educating them on on new technologies or capabilities that are coming out that they need to be aware of, um, or um, or even in some cases, um, bringing them solutions that maybe they weren't aware of um, as well that would help their business based on uh, our conversations. So, so for me, it's critical to, to maintain those relationships and be actively understanding what's changing in their world to uh, to serve them. Um, and then thirdly, I think it's just looking more kind of macroeconomically in terms of just what's happening in our in our world from a global trend standpoint in terms of how um, you know how how the world's operating, if you will, right? And and what what's changing in our society, and as and, and in particular, looking at uh, the you know whether it's Gen Z versus millennials versus Xers versus boomers, right? In fact, there was a recent study that came out that was fascinating uh, as it relates to personal electronic um, um, use and uh, and feelings towards it. And uh, what I was really fascinated to find out was that the the Gen Zers look at their electronic devices with almost derision. They're, it's fear, it's negativity, it's it's almost like, oh, I have to use this thing, whereas the boomers are looking at these tools like, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing I've ever used in my life and my world is much better and the way I operate in the world is much better. Um, and then, um, and there was a number of other findings in it, but to me, I think that was fascinating because then it's like, okay, so if that's the case, then if I'm a, in the consumer electronics world, how am I serving those customers differently? How am I messaging to them? What what improvements do I need to make in the products so that they don't feel uh, the boom that the boomers continue to love it, and that you know the uh, the the the, um, the Zers are going to you know how do I get them to feel better about it so they don't view it with negativity? So so for me, it's it's all those things combined. Uh, to ensure that um, I, again, I'm staying on top of things, but also being able to add value to my client relationships by uh, understanding what's happening. So in other words, you don't really do very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, it's, it's neat that you put them in three unique buckets, but I think the big thing there, which you were spot on is you're going to have to spend time and effort really involving yourself in a little bit of a lot of things. Yes. Right. It's yeah. not just passively focusing on one or two things and that's all it is. Now, look, work is super important. Investing into your your work and your knowledge and all things you said is huge. I think another key thing of this show is really understanding that there is time. I, I, I'm sure of it, even if it's just a minute, that you're not working. Right? <laughs> yes. I get it. You got to tell the world, no, oh, no, I'm always working. I'm always uh, doing my stuff. But when you shift away from that, you go to the personal side of it. What do you do with your spare time? You know, any hobbies, any interests, uh, anything that you do outside of work to kind of maintain your well-being and, you know, your perspective online? Uh, yeah, great question. And um, yeah, I, I actually I, I do a number of things. One, uh, I'm a huge sports fan, so I've been playing golf, um, you know, virtually my entire life. So, uh, I, I, you know, I love to play golf, love to watch golf. Um, love to stay on top of what's happening in the golf world, particularly with this whole LIV and PGA tour and everything else going on there. And, and, uh, it's kind of fascinating to see what's happening. I think it tells kind of a, a business story, but also, uh, an example of the evolution of what's happening just in sport overall. Um, and then, um, I, um, again, love, uh, the NBA as well. The golden state warriors are my favorite team. So, um, watch them. And then, from an NFL standpoint, huge 49ers fan because I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. So um, love them. Very excited to see them in the playoffs and uh, really hoping that, that uh, not only did they get to the Super Bowl this year, but that they actually win it, uh, which would be great because it's been almost 30 years since they have. So would love to see that happen. Um, and then um, beyond that, I, I just love to socialize. We've got a great network of friends that uh, we socialize with, whether it's you know hosting parties or going out to dinner or uh, going to our local club uh, that we belong to um, and um, and just having enriching uh, wonderful relationships with with them along with 
um, my family, which is huge. I've got 36 nieces, nephews, great nieces and great nephews. So uh, all over the all over the uh, country. Uh, so that's also enriching and and definitely keeps us busy. And uh, and then I'm proud to say I, that I've been married to my high school sweetheart for uh, going on uh, 39 years. Yeah, we got married when we were 10. I'm kidding, but um, but uh, but uh, yeah, we uh, you know fell in love at a very very early age and uh, still going strong. So um, obviously that keeps me busy as well. That's great, and I think you know that the balance of things that keep your mind occupied outside of work, the things that refresh, refill your cup is amazing that you have uh, so many positive influences. And I think it's really important that a lot of people kind of find those pieces uh, in life, whether it be hobbies, family, friends, you know, things they do. Now, from a learning perspective on that personal note, right, is there really some major source of in, you know inspiration or influence in your life? I, I, in your life? I know you talked about your dad yeah. as well, but I mean, are there any other uh, people, or maybe it is you're going back to your dad being that big influence on life event, or even a book or movie that's really been a driver for you. Yeah. You know, again, another, um, great question. And, uh, yeah, no question. It was my dad when I was starting out, you know, obviously as a child and then as starting out in my career. Um, and then as, um, you know, my dad retired and became just really more like just my dad, uh, I would say the person that really kind of took over that, uh, you know, inspirational role, mentor role was my brother, Steve, uh, who um, it, for many, many years was a senior executive uh, within the uh, golf industry um, and is now a consultant um, himself. And, and and really for him, it was twofold. One uh, was his tremendous success in, in the golf industry that he's had, but, and, and the relationships that he's built and, and, and the things that he was able to accomplish. But the second part of it was I, he's even a better person and, and family man. Uh, he's, he's got a, a, a large family uh, and, um, and, but he's always been there for them and whether it's his kids or now his grandkids uh, and, and always made the time for them despite having a incredibly <laughs> demanding job and, and very busy travel schedule and everything else. And, and the lengths that he would go to, to make sure that they were loved and cared for, uh, has been very inspirational. So for me, um, it showed that you can be very successful in your career while also being a successful husband, father, or grandfather. Uh, and uh, so he continues to be that inspiration uh, for me. And then, you know, obviously there are other uh, influences in my life that are very positive as well. But I, I would say um, it's my brother, Steve, that uh, is that person for me today. You know, it's interesting as you were telling the way Steve has found uh you know, balance doesn't always mean 50-50, but it's when to balance what portion of things that are just you, your memories you're never going to get back if you don't find a way to prioritize them. Uh, things that when you do have a demanding uh, job, how do you balance that with the other important things in life? And it really reminded me of how you really have talked about the concept of servant leadership. You know, servant leadership isn't just something that you do in business. It sounds like there's not, uh, not only influences it from your brother in personal life, but I'm sure there has to be ways where servant leadership also finds its way into your own personal family, friend, uh, community relationships as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it really is a life philosophy. It's not just a business philosophy in terms of servant leadership. And, um, you know, whether it is, uh, you know, in, in my own community where I live, um, you know, there's a fishing club. I don't fish. But I play in their annual golf tournament. I sponsor a whole. I, um, you know, donate to their causes and help them out just because um, I really like what they represent. And they provide a lot of, um, you know, clinics and uh, different events for um, the, the children that live here and, and to get them into a positive, healthy um you know, um, activity with, with fishing. So that's really the driver behind that is, as one, uh, small example. Um, I, I guess a more personal example is we currently have my nephew that's living with us that has some challenges. And so we're helping him, uh, overcome those and really setting him up to have uh, a more successful life. And, um, that is no easy process, uh, given, unfortunately, some of the things that he's experienced, but, um, but, you know, we believe that, you know, my wife and I, that he needs it and we're going to provide it. And um, so that's how we're, we're serving him. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, I've been involved with, with many different philanthropic organizations over uh, the course of my life uh, and always with the intent uh, to 
leave it better than where where I started uh, and whether that was helping found organizations or whether I just was a member of them or uh, took a leadership role in them. Um, it, it, it didn't matter. My whole intent behind it was to make sure that I was serving the purpose of that organization in, in the best way that I could um, by investing my you know time, money and effort into it. So um, so for me, um, it is really a life philosophy. And, and those are some examples of how I've uh, implemented it. Well, it's great to share, you know, another uh, way of really investing into other people and into your community. And it's a great way to um, have that as a, a life um, approach. And so with that, there's going to be so many people that have listened to this and said, I got to connect with Frank. I got to connect with his business. How do they go about doing that? What's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Uh, really, the, probably the best way would just be uh, emailing me um, at frank at francisjconsulting.com. Uh, and uh, I, I check my email religiously. And uh, from that, we can uh, set up time to get together. Obviously, you can find me on LinkedIn as well um, as, you know, as, as Frank Mona. Uh, and um, and then we can communicate via, you know, LinkedIn messaging as well, whichever your preference is. Um, but uh, either way, I'm happy to connect and, um, and you know, uh, if, if nothing else, network and get to know each other. And then obviously, if I can help you from a business standpoint, happy to do so. Well, that's fantastic, Frank. I'm so happy you came onto the show. It was great having you. And uh, look, that really wraps another episode of First Contact Stories of the Call Center. So a huge thank you to you, Frank, for joining us today. My pleasure. It's been invaluable and really appreciate the personal stories. My pleasure, Christian. Thank you very much. I really appreciate this opportunity. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining me in this episode. If you're loving the content, make sure to hit that subscribe button on your YouTube channel for exclusive clips, webinars, workshops, and bonus materials. And if you're an Apple iTunes listener, we'd greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review to help spread the word. On our YouTube page, you can also leave us feedback, comments, and suggest future guests that you'd like to hear from. For even more valuable insights and information on the call center world, visit NobelBiz.com and access our on-demand webinars. I'm Christian Montez, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of First Contact Podcast. Stay with us for the next exciting chapter.